This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Muji. Muji worked in London's West End as a street portrait artist for many years, then as a painter and a stained-glass artist, and later as a teacher at Brixton College. Muji is a direct disciple of Punja, the renowned Advaita master, or Papaji, as his followers call him. Since 1999, Muji has been sharing satsang, which means meetings in truth in the form of spontaneous encounters, retreats, intensives, and one-to-one meetings with the many seekers who visit him from all parts of the world. His style is direct, clear, compassionate, and often humorous. With Sounds True, Muji has written a new book called Vaster Than Sky, Greater Than Space, What You Are Before You Became, where he guides the reader into the adventure of deep inquiry, sparking direct realization through stories, wisdom teachings, and responses to the common questions on the spiritual journey. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Muji and I spoke about his experience of discovering his true nature, what he calls being kissed from within, and a magical experience that brought a tangible, deep peace that has never faded. We also talked about how he understands that we have an unchanging part of us while also having a changing part and how this coexists for him. Muji also led us in a guided pointing out of just being as a way to begin to taste our timeless true nature. Muji and I also discussed spiritual bypassing and what he means by being wind-assisted as we contact our beingness. Talking to me from Portugal, here's my conversation with Muji. Muji, this is the first time I've ever had the chance to interview you before, and I'm really looking forward to it and want to begin just by thanking you. Thank you for making the time to have this conversation. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be um, interviewed by you. Looking forward to our conversation today. Now, I did a series a couple of years ago, and it was called Waking Up, What Does It Really Mean?, And I interviewed 20-plus people about this topic of spiritual awakening, trying to get a sense, could we define it? And do people even mean the same thing when they talk about their breakthrough experiences of awakening and how it's changed them? And I discovered, actually, that people mean a lot of different things by this 
phrase, spiritual awakening. And so I wanted to start our conversation by knowing what spiritual awakening means to you. Ah, thank you, thank you. Well, mm, I'm also aware of the term being applied and um, uh, expressed to mean different things for different people. But in, in my way of using the term uh, awakening, it really implies, I, I start off always by saying that what we are is uh, awakening uh, in, in the sense that we imagine it is something that we do or um, something that happened to us and that brings us into um, a state of complete tranquility, of complete evenness of mind, and what people often say, to bring you completely in the heart. And these are popular ways of expressing that. But I say that uh, we are that. In essence, this is what we are. But it is so seemingly unchallenged, the idea we have of who we are, that we are primarily um, our bodies, and the conditioning that ar arises for us, uh, in our bodily um, uh, identity. And so that belief in ourself as a person uh, makes it very difficult to actually um, accept what I would say when I say that you are already uh, that which you are seeking. Uh, people feel that it is just some kind of spiritual uh, koan or cliche or something. But actually, uh, I really do mean that, that what, what we are searching for um, is already what, uh, what we are truly. But the one who is seeking is less true than the thing that is being sought. And uh, this is what is very, very difficult to get across. Very often, people, let's say, we have a, what we call an awakening experience, and where there is a breakthrough in some deep insight, some profound, profound insight, or experience take place for us where the old way of looking is radically altered, maybe just for a certain period of time. And then we feel that we're experiencing uh, a state of grace when our intuitive faculties come very much alive and we feel, yes, this is it. That would be the most uh, common response. But at the same time, for many people, if not most, this state lasts only for a certain period of time. and uh, But what I speak about as uh, awakening, I don't use the term so often, I more speak about our true nature. That once that is deeply grasped through understanding um, and uh, intuitive, um, what I would say, uh, refinement and conviction, even more than conviction, once that has taken place, it continues to deepen, and it never really fades. The state itself uh, does not fade. Uh, what tends to fade is um, the, the attention tends to drift away onto other things and returns to the old regime of thinking. And so it feels as though that is lost. So I don't know if that really helps to clarify well, my yeah. position. Well, I'd love to know more in your own experience, this discovery of true nature, if you will. 
Is this something where you had, oh, this is the moment, this is true nature. Oh, this is the moment where I changed and went across some kind of line where I started living and knowing my true nature all the time? I mean, how would you describe it in your own experience? Yes. In my own case, I would not really, uh, I, it did not come to me like that. Even terms like my true nature and enlightenment, these terms were not there for me. Uh, I knew in the, in the first instance of um, that some, an impact had taken place inside, that was really clear in the most basic way. Uh, a change had uh, arisen inside my heart, and I knew in that uh, moment that I had not experienced this um, this kind of potency of experience before. But I didn't have many concepts about it. I wasn't wondering what this was. I was just receiving, if you want to say, in a very receptive mode, and very, very instantly happy about it. It was more a feeling of great peace, and uh, a heightened sensitivity in, in the way that uh, uh, this, uh, the way I, I was perceiving or experiencing uh, the life within myself and the life around me, so to speak. So I didn't have any great words for that, and I really could not talk about it. I didn't have anyone to really talk about it with at the time, and so really, I uh, that was the first. The first hit was like that for me, and uh, I just felt that I wanted to to just uh, to be in this and to be in this state of being. Um, later, I, I I found I could talk about this more. But in that time, uh, there was I didn't have any great concepts, and also I was not so much uh, prone to talking about these things. I really did not have that the kind of words for that. Now, this initial surprise experience of you said great potency, the, the potency of life. How did this happen? What happened? Actually, um, I was not doing any kind of spiritual practice at all. Um, it so happened that I was. In those days, at that time, I was more caught up in making artwork, paintings, and uh, sculptures, stained glass, this type of thing, you know. And I was just um, uh, helping to put on a very important exhibition of Caribbean artists. And um, I came home to where I was living there in London, and uh, my friend, uh, my girlfriend, said, you know, oh, earlier today someone came by and noticed some stained glass in the window wanted to know who made it, because it was obviously a new piece of glass. And she said, yes, my, my friend had made it, and he'll be back later. And this, uh, this man said, you know, I'd, I'd love to call in and, and just to meet this person and uh, to have a talk, you know. So I heard this and just put it to the side. And um, later that evening, uh, this young man showed up at the door, and um, he, he just introduced himself as Michael. He said, I live very close by, and just... Uh, a few minutes walk from where I lived, and that he also uh, made glass and also painted, and uh, we just—I just liked him straight away. It was something very simple and open about his presence, and uh, I met him, and he actually helped me to to put this exhibition on that we were um, staging, and uh, he immediately declared on the first evening that we talked, you know, that he was a practicing Christian. And the fact that he was in the house where he lived, 
they held a sort of service there, um, a, a gathering there on Sundays, and uh, we're just very open in this way. So I saw him s several times, and uh, always we I found myself talking with him about. Uh, um, well, he brought these subjects up, and I found that I could talk with him very easily and very openly. And um, after a few months of visiting, one day, one Sunday he came by, and we were just like four people together in this in this room, and. Um, we had, had a beautiful evening of, of sharing. I think principally we were just he and I speaking for the most part of it. And just before leaving, I said to him, Michael, you know, when you pray again, um, could you could you pray for me? And uh, he said, Well, yes, yes, of course, but uh, why not now? And I, it was very fresh for me. He said, Yes, yes, of course, thank you, thank you. And we stood up. And he prayed, he put his hand on my forehead, and he prayed something. I can't remember what he prayed, but he prayed for me. But at the end of his prayer, I spontaneously also just asked for some guidance. And with such a it was it was so deeply felt in my heart, but it came up very spontaneously, you know, just please help me and bring me more close to this understanding and so on. And it was like that. It ended with him we having a hug at the door and he left. And uh, I remember standing in the hall just behind the closed door and feeling really light and very happy. And um, just an exceptionally light feeling inside my being. And um, I did not want to go to bed or anything. It was drawing later in the evening, but I felt so invigorated and at the same time, very peaceful. And I just uh, sat up for quite some time. I felt like this feeling was so, it was so unusually beautiful for me that um, way into the evening, I, I still did not want to sleep. I was like I'm sitting in this cocooned, in this sort of very blissful state. But eventually, of course, I fell asleep. And uh, in the morning, I woke up. And just noticed that there was a little crack through the curtains, and there was this stream of sunlight um, piercing this uh, this very dark room. And somehow, for some reason, that just took my interest. I was looking at it and feeling that uh, I was looking at the sun in such a like I'd never seen it before. It was so beautiful, with all the little dust particles floating up in that beam. And uh, I was very, very happy that the same feeling hadn't gone away. That I had gone to sleep and woke up, and the feeling was still very, very um, tangible, still very present. You know, so I felt a great joy about this. And I remember going out walking in, in the park locally, and just feeling just the most happy in the most happy state. And you know, I, I did not really feel to be with people. I, I was so much. Uh, felt embraced by this, by this, um, this feelings, these feelings of great joy and peace, and that I just wanted to to be alone and 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 walk in that state, and so there was this tremendous peace that I felt entered into my heart, and it has it has never left to this day, 
many changes took place in my life uh, following that first meeting. But this peace had never really gone away. Now, Muji, I'm curious how you understand this occurrence. Because, you know, lots of people, I think, might have something similar-ish happen during a magical encounter with somebody. And it's like the curtains part and there's a sense of the beauty and grace of life itself. But then that's over. 48 hours later, 72 hours later, that's over. And they're back to, you know, a more mundane, drudgery-filled existence. And yet this didn't change for you. What happened? How do you understand it? Well, I have to fill in some other pieces because I'd have to say that uh, years before that, uh, when I was in my maybe 17, 18 years old, I used to go to my mother's church, Seventh-day Adventist church. We just had to go, you know. It was not something that was a request, which was a requirement more, to go to church. But sometimes I remember experiencing in church, on a few occasions, a similar feeling of just being caught up in this beautiful feeling. And I remember leaving church and walking through the, the, the town afterwards and on, on Saturday, full of noise and smells and traffic and everything, and feeling cocooned. But then it would just fade away. But on this occasion, nothing, it just did not go away. I can't say why that is. I did not uh, do any special practice for that. I just knew that I just was full of appreciation for for the for that, and um, uh, I I cannot say I practiced anything at all. But uh, if anything, I could say it was just I was so deeply um, surrendered. I would say because it became all of my life in a very short space of time. Hmm. You know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's like uh, I sometimes describe it as being kissed from inside. And, uh, and my whole being was, I feel like every cell in my being was just uh, tingling with this joy and this, this not excitement, but a, a, a deep peace. But it, it very tangibly, could, like I could pinch my skin and it would be filled with joy or something. Not the pinch, that like any bit I touch will be filled with this uh, this joy and this uh, this indescribable joy and peace. You know? So it did not go uh, away. Um, uh, it, at the same time, I have to admit that my ego did not vanish immediately. I still had uh, feelings about uh, you know something wonderful had happened to me, and uh, I wanted to to preserve this feeling, to have this feeling always. But I wasn't practicing anything to keep it. I just loved it, and it just uh, stayed. But there were times when I felt that um, I would want to impart some of this joy to someone else. And I see that it didn't work like that, that by holding onto their hand that I would transmit something, but in a very innocent, very naive way. And I saw that it didn't always bring the result I imagined it would. So these were, I was learning very, very fast also. This is another thing. I was so totally uh, consumed with this feeling and this experience. And at the same time, uh, I wanted to absorb everything that uh, I felt it brought up. I did not understand anything intellectual. I was not much one for reading books or something. But at that time, it felt a tremendous urge arose in me to find out more about it. 
And Michael had given me a small book of the New Testament, which, you know, I was a bit familiar with this anyway. But it was like when I started reading it, the book that he gave me, I felt like I was also reading this for the first time, like a deeper understanding was present in my reading of it, that uh, it was like something was helping me to understand more deeply what I was reading. And um, and then after finishing this New Testament, I, I actually went and bought the whole Bible, actually, and read through that, like uh, as though it was some kind of food that I was eating. So that was the really the birth of the interest in, in reading for me. Um, I could never really read so much um, books on fictions. It was always something, it would only be about this, to learn more about this. So Muji, you, you mentioned that after this pretty magical, I would say, experience, it sounds magical, that your ego was still involved. You wanted to maintain this experience. You wanted to turn other people on. Did something happen that changed this ego function and role in your life that made it different for you? Well, first of all, the experience wasn't an experience that finished. Like you were saying in the beginning, it was like this. And when it when it lasted, it, it, it's still ongoing for me. It has not really... Some... It, it, it gets transformed into a different way outwardly. And even in terms of my feelings, these things can change. And and my ego, the ego feeling was not just only in the beginning. It actually went on for quite a bit, you know, in subtle ways. I could see that. I didn't even know to call it ego at the time. Even it was just I knew when when the feeling of me was was present, when when I felt I could do something because what was happening at that time very strongly was things which I regarded as miraculous uh, was taking place for me. I could see that the something, some energy field was being created uh, around this body, and also it was having an impact on 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 how the life moved around me. That was my perception at the time, and uh, but it was happening totally spontaneously. Where I felt the ego came in is when I felt that I, the feeling of I as a me, a personal me, could do something with this power. And, and and then I I saw that it was not like that, and then as soon as I felt that the, the this 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 wrong me was uh, was getting in on the active, so to speak, I saw that and it wasn't working. There was a deep kind of frustration uh, because I just wanted to get rid of that. There's a feeling of just wanting to be free of that because it was more of an intrusion left to itself. The life in me was simply unfolding by itself, and something here made it very easy for me to 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 surrender to that more, because I was not so much I, I I don't know why, but I was not wanting to control it. I was wanting to be more in service to it, but at the same time, you know, needing to to discern when the person was um, being very active in it. And when it was just moving by itself, so that went on for some time. And then your question as to was there a time when the ego was not playing or interfering in that way anymore? I would say that gradually, gradually, it was thinning away. And by the time uh, this was from 1987, all this began in 1987, you know. And then by the time it got to 
1993, I went to India for the first time. I did not know much about Indian culture or any Indian spirituality, but I had this strong feeling inside that I, 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 I wanted to go there. I had found a book by uh, uh, about a great saint from uh, Calcutta, Sri Ramakrishna. And somehow, although the, his religious practices or beliefs were very, very different from my own upbringing, there was something in his, something brought me to this book, uh, the Gospel of Ramakrishna, and uh, it really spoke to me after finishing the Bible. It was like maybe it's the word gospel or something. But as I read it, uh, I could really see through Ramakrishna's eyes, and I felt that. The, the presence I felt through this book was very, very much a friend to me. It helped me to understand some things that made made more sense inside my heart, listening to Ramakrishna or reading about his life, you see. So that was perhaps the the trigger for my desire to go to India. I didn't know anything about Indian gurus or any living ones <coughs> or nothing like that. That was my naivety about these things. So it wasn't until going to India, and seemingly by chance coming to meet some devotees of Sri Punja, and uh, in such a way that I felt it was clearly a sign that I, I should go and and meet this man, and how I came to meet him, and it was not love at first sight with meeting Papaji, but it was mm, impact at first sight. And gradually, in staying with him for uh, quite a few months, being in his presence and being to, in satsang with him, uh, some somehow he brought my mind and my way of looking into a new dimension of seeing and experiencing. That uh, I would say. Um, brought this this feeling of ego uh, it really thinned out very very quickly but you know I never like to say never so to speak and make any great statements about any kind of achievement that seems wise now muji I can imagine someone listening who said God you know I've done so much practice so much yoga I've you know prayed with a sincere heart for some type of kissing from within, like you're describing without knowing that phrase, for something like that, for some kind of transformation like that. And, you know, have a sense of what Muji's talking about, but nothing like that's happened in my life. Why did this happen to Muji? What's your understanding of that? This is happening to many, many people. I felt even from my experiences in church, this is happening to many, many, many people. I felt the difference was that um, mm, when you're in a part of an organization like a church or something, I felt that uh, these experiences that sprout in people's heart very spontaneously are often not given the space or encouraged to be alone more and to let it sort of mature. In, in a very organic and natural way, uh, there's often a very a quickness to to interpret that into a certain kind of re- religious terminology or something, and to put so many concepts around it. 
and uh, and uh, to um, categorize it in a kind of way that people are, are readily um, open to 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 be pulled into those kind of conceptual framework. And for me, it happened differently. Um, I think that was my good fortune somehow. And as for people who have been practicing um, uh, yoga and meditation and so on, well, now I meet many of them, and I can say that um, we, it, I find it that it's not difficult to guide someone into the into the no the no mind state, and to to really bring them into the experience of their natural state. But there is a sort of reflex in us that tend to go back to the old regime of identity. And it is that, um, perhaps because at a certain point, when you are so much um, in the living experience of self-discovery, there is a side to our nature that is very seemingly committed to being a person or in that way, and there's a fear that comes up for many people that they're going to lose that that side of themselves, that that identity as a person, and there's a, a seeming love for being a person that somehow uh, slows down or weakens the the possibility of being really absorbed into the heart, or what I would use the word absorbed into the heart, complete your realization of the self or something. That has been my experience with with really sitting with many people and and watching what happens in them as I try to guide them back into that natural place because it is the most simple thing now. Speaking in from this period of my life and sitting with many people, I find it is the most simple. It is the most natural. It is even simpler than simple. So the difficulty is not in the state itself. It is more to do with the habit, the sense of loyalty that we have to the idea we have of ourselves as a person, and and the threat that we often feel that that is going to be, uh, um, you know, annihilated in some way, and then something clings to that, which effectively is saying, "Not ready for this entirely, not right now," and many people don't think about it like this. But when we look and we explore together, they come to admit, yes, there is something that is clinging to some old ideas like that. Now, Muji, let me ask you a question, because your book is called Vaster Than Sky, Greater Than Space, What You Are Before You Became. And you're, I think, starting to really point to that in this conversation when you talk about pointing out to people this no-mind state. But aren't you also, Muji, what you are now that you've become? Aren't you also, Muji, the person? Aren't you both vaster than sky, greater than space, and this Jamaican guy who's living in Portugal right now, who's teaching lots of people and has released a new book? Yes. We can say these things. We can say, yes, I am this uh, Jamaican guy living in Portugal, um, having these uh, satsang gatherings or whatever. Um, yes, and I have no, I, I don't have any, any kind of resistance to to, to that way of uh, expressing about oneself. And uh, of course, 
you know, I don't go around saying the things I'm saying to you. Sure, sure, sure. Meet. It has to be that I meet people who are already at a certain stage and they're maturing and who understand the kind of things I'm talking about to some extent, at least intellectually. It wouldn't just be just for anyone. In fact, I'm very open to meet anyone. And without preparation, I find that something in us, a capacity is there when we are not relying on our personal experiences only. There's a capacity in us to meet beings totally spontaneously and to meet them in in a, an infinity with their present uh, way of looking. So that that is something that happened that was not um, so evident before. And uh, um, I believe your question was that, um, how am I uh, having now said that I am this, I am I am that, which I am pointing others to to discover within themselves that they are also this. Does it wipe out? Does it say now this Jamaican person, whatever it is, um, is no more? Well, I can say yes and no to that because it is not uh, some an important. A set of concepts that I, I I hold on to. I don't need to believe or have any particular self-conception about myself. Um, but uh, in different environments, and depending on who I'm speaking with, my conversations will vary quite a lot to adapt itself to the needs of that of that moment. You know, so um, it, it is not that there is a very rigid framework of an identity that I have. Um, it is very, very flexible in its expression, but yet at the same time, deeper down, it is unchanging also. On the surface, it's changing; it might appear to be changing, but uh, beneath the surface, it is, it is, it is beyond changing. And that's not easy to 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 convey. Um, gladly, I don't feel that I I, I am com- compelled to convey that just to anyone. But in the in the light of uh, the kind of interactions and the satsangs that are held here, when that availability of receptiveness or openness is there in people, then by itself it flows or unfolds quite spontaneously, the kind of way that we will speak with each other and what will come out of it. It is not uh, it is not something prepared beforehand. It is totally spontaneous. You know, when you're talking about the unchanging part of us. And then also this changing part, if you will. I think that's really what I'm trying to understand in your work is how both of those coexist in your understanding. Yes, yes. Well, you know, um, it is very, very natural thing because, of course, you know, we have a, a dynamic body and a dynamic life. We have a background of this, where where we grew up in certain environments, we are taught certain things. We learn both from from people we meet and also from things that arise naturally within ourselves. So, um, I don't find that that is in any conflict with the the realization of the self. Uh, the self is fundamentally what we are, and beyond a kind of any sort of uh, concept conceptual. Um, ideal about life. Uh, I have discovered that, and it is nothing uh, so extraordinary. I think it is 
I don't want to even call it ordinary. It is just as it is. It is true. Um, and uh, at the same time, it did not annihilate the dynamic expression of life, where I have some children, I have friends or whatever, and we can speak. Um, some things have changed, naturally, because when a human being uh, comes to the realization of the of the, the the deeper self or the pure self, it has an impact on your dynamic expression also. Uh, and there is no pretense here to kind of, you know, to hide that or pretend that, um, you know, there is no deeper self. There's still, you know, like acting out what we would in the past have. Sometimes we we believe or we feel that. There's certain behavior that's expected of us by the people who we feel that they are close to us and they know us or they feel they know you. Um, and then we sort of play along with those expectations. Well, those tend to dry up as your mind is returning more to its source, which I call the self. Uh, a, a new strength is there to really stand by yourself. And yet at the same time, you may also be, be able to to of course, coexist with other beings and to relate to them at various levels and so on. But the impact of that deeper um, uh, realization, it does also infuse uh, and pervade all our activities on the dynamic level also. Even without any intention, it, it, it gets, um, it pervades all our actions. And uh, having seen that, I've Found a joy in not having to prepare, or to, or to have any notion of helping. That it seems to just go by itself. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive three free gifts just for visiting us. Go to soundstrue.com backslash free. That's soundstrue.com backslash free. And now back to Insights at the Edge. Now you mentioned that different spiritual students come to you and they have this interest and this hunger, if you will, to discover what is unchanging, what's timeless, what's vaster than sky, greater than space. But then there's some re-entrenchment or reinvestment in this personhood. And that was why I asked you this question. Well, you know, is there some way that you're both a person and vaster than sky, greater than space at the same time. And you said, yes, it's very flexible. So what is it in people that keeps them re-entrenched in their personhood in a way that they're not willing to let go into this huge, yes, vaster than sky, greater than space Thank you for dimension. asking this. Yeah. Yes, because... Um, I feel that uh, if you if you get a hundred people just uh, arbitrarily from any um, from a crowd of people, and you you get to arbitrarily a hundred people together, and you present before them 
what you mean by spiritual awakening in 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 the most uh, in the most pure sense what it really means and they could understand that and ask them you know would they be really open for this i feel most of them would say i'm really open for this because what you're saying is that i'll be really in my natural state i'll be unafraid i'm discovering something eternal in myself um i'm not afraid of people uh, I'm not so deeply affected by the opinions of people. Not that I don't care, but I probably would not mind so much. And that um, I have this natural joy and peace. Of course, most people would say that they that they are very open to that. And then we put it further that there are people who have been, have a background of searching for some form of spiritual fulfillment for some time. And by the time they come to a place like uh, where where I am, which is so focused on this, they may indeed have the feeling that, you know, I am totally, totally, totally here for freedom. And what is the what is magnificent about this is that as we begin to to really look, and I say, well, welcome, and we begin to look and explore and uh, together, and uh, <clears throat> that I see it in such simple ways and such available ways. You see, it's not like I'm saying, look, if you do this for another two or three years, I'm saying from today, if you're open, you are going to discover something. And it's not an empty promise. We start to look and people start to see, whoa, whoa. Sometimes they really begin to see that it is really possible. They're experiencing certain changes that are arising quite spontaneously within themselves. And it feels really alive and meaningful to them. And so in a short time, they may come to a point where they feel, oh my gosh, if I go further than this, there's a there's a, a sense that you know there's going to be a, a point where I'm not able to go back. That may be a sense in them, and in the re- in reality, it is not a fearful thing actually, from the from the position of a person, from the idea of a person. It just feels like wow, this is this is very costly. It's like, um, it's a great sacrifice. I'm holding up all of my life and all that I and I like being me, but I also want to be me, being spiritually awake. And as they begin to explore it, whether that is possible or not, you then begin to find that uh, there are certain investments that people have in being a person and certain dreams and so on that uh, feel like, well, I'd like to give a bit more energy to this first, because now I know what this feels like. I can come back to this. This is a big trick that, that happens for many. There are others, by the way, who have perhaps been through what I've just mentioned, or maybe not, but they're just at another stage, a more what I'd call mature stage in their sadhana, in their spiritual practice, or their journey, you may speak like that, and who have just uh, such a potent urge to 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 be free from the from the psychological intimidation of the of the mind or from the the sort of hypnosis of conditioning or whatever the the urge within them is so potent so powerful that nothing will deter them from from looking i have to also say there can be sometimes too much determination and if it's too much determination to the extent that it is a person's determination, that may also work against it. There are many factors that come into play 
that I, I don't want to sit and say this one is likely this way and this one is not likely. I have to, I'm often sitting in a group of large numbers of people and it's such a mixed bag and yet something guides the conversations and interactions as they go and it seems as though everyone gets fed in their own way and according to their own capacity. But there are beings, if you get a hundred people, you may find in the end there's probably eight or nine who are really, really burning to go further and the others will sort of like slip more towards the edge and are just waiting, waiting in a, want to be in the waiting room more than in the, in the real fire of discovery. And this is something that I feel if a, if a genuine research could be made, you probably find that um, a similar kind of findings would come out of it. So it is not only a question of personal determination, it is where, it is the stage of maturity that, that someone is at that moment. And of course, everyone I feel will grow from the experience. If they are not going to run away on the first day, they will come away with some, some expansion, some greater understanding, a more heightened sense of, of uh, consciousness or something. And that may feel to fade. It will be rare always that uh, a number of people, um, it's not just putting intellectual or mental determination to something, but uh, somehow there's an element of surrender in this that goes to surrendering into the experience of self-discovery that will be pulled in in a much more, I, I want to use the word right now, mystical way, a way meaning that uh, I cannot easily explain that. It's kind of more, um, uh, it, I, I would not be able to, to say what that is exactly. Now, you've used this word surrender several times, Muji, in our conversation. So someone's listening and they are ready to surrender more. Can you talk directly to that person? Yes, well, the, uh, surrender is a very natural thing in life. Uh, we are surrendering to all types of uh, situations, uh, sometimes challenges, sometimes just taking a chance or risk in life. And it doesn't need to be uh, um, tightly held in some spiritual context. I mean, I can equally say that all of life is spiritual also. But um, I would say surrendering in the sense, not just that somebody comes and say, you know, I promise you this and you must surrender to this. Not in that context, not in that type of uh, preaching context. But that as you, as you are pulled more deeply uh, by your, your initial openness, and that if it is genuine, it seems like as you approach that, so it is also pulling you inside. You feel a sense of a pull. You start to feel the signs that there's something alive here. There's a, there's a living thing. It's not just something you're making up. There is a, there's a call and a response there. And there's a pulling in and there's a deepening in that. And by the very nature of being pulled more deeply into, into, that, into that deeper embracing, naturally, you yourself, without any further outer encouragement, want to surrender to it. It is a natural, it's a natural um, uh, exp expansiveness or growth or evolution, this feeling of uh, surrendering to it. Uh, and it, depending upon one's uh, temperament, that could take the shape of surrendering to an ideology or to a form or to even the sense of formlessness, you know? 
It's a, it is not merely the object of the surrender, but the kind of subject of the surrender also, that you within yourself feel, yes, yes, um, I'm being pulled somewhere, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but there is already a deepening trust here, and I feel to, to, to move in with this trust and to, to take that sense of risk, and there's something deeply exhilarating about this, this, because the mind wants guarantees, you know. Okay, if I take to go to step level five, what's that going to be, and so on? And I say, well, I cannot tell you. You have to work more with your heart here, and also that, uh, and follow this vibration of trust more. I know that people can say yes. You know, many people have followed this vibration, have been led into very dark places, but uh, that's also a part of their growth and in, in the wider picture, maybe. Now, Muji, you mentioned to me earlier in our conversation that it's not that hard if you're given a group of 100 people or whomever is listening right now to you speak, to our listeners, it's not that hard to point out this vaster than sky, greater than space, what you are before you became. It's not that hard to point it out to people and that many people get it. And I wonder right here in our conversation if you could give us a set of pointers for the person yes. who wants to discover this. Okay. Um, well, let's start like this, because often people come for the very first time, and I don't have set um, exercises for them. But as you speak now, I, I feel, okay, if someone is here for the first time, everyone knows uh, knows the, the feeling of of existence. They may not have considered it in the way that I'm going to present it now, but we know that we exist. Nobody has to teach you that you exist. It is an intuitive, untaught way. The vibration in, in us, the feeling, I, I am, I exist. And so, for some people, I would say, if we just start with the sense of being, the sense, I exist, and don't decorate it with any any stories or or any imagination. Just start with the basic feeling, and don't allow it to connect up with any any other concepts and to roll into some sort of, you know, imagination. Just a sense of being. Just like sometimes we are doing this throughout the day, uh, not being so conscious about it, but the mind needs to take a rest in this space of a kind of space of neutrality, where you're not engaged with any to- any thought or any intention. Or anything from from past or future or something, you're you're effectively empty, and this emptiness and the sense of of neutrality, pretty much the same kind of thing. So if someone were just to be sitting here, and and refuse to, if thoughts come, of course you cannot say the thoughts don't come, they come, but I would then point you not to follow them. So it is as though you would be like this um, vaster than sky feeling. You're in this sort of space of just space, vaster than sky, greater than space. Okay, let's use this as a starting point. Just a sense of space is there, and your your thoughts and emotions, which may come up spontaneously, are just like clouds floating through that space. Now the space doesn't have any favorite clouds; they they're just clouds passing. The sky doesn't follow after clouds. We are aware of that, and there is a tendency in us sometimes 
that chew our attention or habit, something wants to follow them. But that which wants to follow them also, is also another movement, and you are just like the great space. So I say that, uh, just simply stay as that natural feeling of being. Don't even imagine space, because it is already spacious in itself. And stay like that, without allowing any concepts to develop into some shape or story. In the beginning, uh, some people may find it uh, quite challenging. The mind gets even more noisy at first. But I just quietly ask them just to persist with it. Uh, if you feel like you stumble or you fall off to the side, just, just come back again into the state of emptiness, and sit in that state um, for a while. Sometimes I invite people to do this for five or seven minutes, if they are doing it for the first time. And not when you are sleepy or something, but just to choose a moment when you can sit by yourself, and uh, just be with this uh, sense of consciously being present. You may call it conscious presence, or the vibration, the feeling, I am, the sense of beingness. And if you do it in short bursts, like for five or seven minutes, after this time you may just go out and you go for a walk, or take some water, have a cup of tea, or do other things. But if you persist with it, even for a short time, it will become easier and easier, to the point where you can feel thoughts coming, but you're not running after them, your attention doesn't run after them. And it's held into this space, the sense of being, it's just resting in being. And gradually, this feeling of being will develop a more kind of, uh, a kind of potent presence will be there, very joyful, immensely peaceful. And because you will so enjoy being in that state, it will be self-encouraging, so you, you will just want to spend more time in it. But I would still say, just spend seven minutes and then go off for a bit, and you can do this as often as you wish in a day. And I would say five or seven minutes, because most people can find five or seven minutes somewhere, even the busiest person can find a bit of that space. And I say that it is not difficult, because children also take to this, and enjoy and find immediate, an immediate response, and an immediate feeling of, of silence and spaciousness. And you know, this silence, this stillness, is so natural to us, that we recognize it quickly. Of course, sometimes some panic comes in the mind, because we feel like we cannot find the usual context for being a person. But you persist, and gradually, you become more familiar with this state of feeling empty. And don't allow the mind to create any negative connotations about that. So that would be a very simple way uh, to, to start uh, an exercise like that. Muji, that's so easy, enjoyable, and doable. Now someone says, okay, five to seven minutes, I got it, I'm being, I'm relaxing, I'm just being here, enjoying presence. Okay, I can do that. What's next? That's going to tune me into what I yes. am before I became? Just that? Oh, oh yes, oh yes. It may seem oversimplistic, or even maybe naive in some way, as an advice. But therein lies its potency, in fact, because as you do this, you may say, yes, okay, I'm going to do that, but then what's going to happen after that? Well, I would insist and say, just do this first. Just keep doing that. And you'll find that, you know, the questions such as what will happen next 
they were gradually just thin away by themselves because even the feeling of next is a tormentor for the human mind because it is what is driving our restlessness, which is so common these days, that the modern man, even while we're having breakfast, we are wondering what's for lunch. When you're having lunch, what's for dinner? This is the kind of nextness, this kind of next vibration. And we are not aware that uh, in a simple exercise like this, brings you into a stillness, a silence which is not dead, it's not a digital silence, it is pregnant with life, but it is not restless. So as we simply follow this kind of exercise, you find that by itself there is a sense of a completeness, a sense of contentment, and the usual kind of, okay, now what? That will gradually thin away. And you are able just to, to be in the now without the later. You are simply just in this nowness, very naturally. And you know, as you continue to not just enjoy this, but remain conscious of it, being consciously present with it, what will happen is that all this, this sort of superficial questions, they just dry up, and you are left into this natural state of being. And at the same time, if something needs to be done, you can do it, it doesn't take away from the state. You will find that actually your mind works even better, because without this type of um, anchoring, this sort of um, the heart-mind state, we are so restless by uh, cultivated nature now, that we are not able to really pay attention to our natural state. It is as though something just comes, sweeps you along, that you are not allowed to rest in this. And as you come to rest more consciously in this space, you will find that uh, there is no conflict between this underlying peace and the, and the more outer activities that you have to engage with. And I include outer activities, even including your mental activities also, will feel almost a bit outside of this. And at the same time, inside it in a strange way. This is a kind of paradox and really um, inscrutable to really just explain word for word. But inside the, the experience of being, everything seems to just fall into place. So Muji, this question is a little challenging, if you will, but it's something I really want to ask you. And I'm curious if you're familiar with the term spiritual bypassing. And if, if not, I'm happy to explain it to you. Uh, no, but you, know, you need to explain that. What that... Uh, it's a term that was coined by a psychologist, John Wellwood, to talk about how sometimes people get very engaged in the transpersonal or transcendent dimension, what they are before they became, and they use that interest and that passion, if you will, for what's transcendent to actually avoid certain growth tasks that they have developmentally as a person, maybe in relationship or maybe in terms of their job and their work in the world, but especially in terms of relating to other people. They hide out, if you will, in empty space 
instead of relating to what's right in front of them. And sometimes I think that's a danger in certain Advaita or non-dual teachings, that there's this potential for spiritual bypassing. And I'm curious what you think about that. Yes, I think it would be, you would be correct. It would be really dangerous. It would be very dangerous because uh, if you have not genuinely, um, uh, if you're not genuinely cured of the, uh, mm, the, the, of, of ego, let's put it a simple way, of ego, and you are simply gifted at, as having a very sharp intellect that can grasp the, 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 something as simple as uh, non-dual teachings can often come across, and then use that as a way to um, avoid meeting life in a, in a very natural way. Uh, I, I don't see how anyone can keep that up for very long anyway. I really, um, you know, because also uh, the people who have, who tries these things out, it's as though they carry a kind of psychic smell about it. The, the words may sound to be you know, just as you may have read of what Ramana may say or, or a, a sage may say, but it doesn't tally up with the, with the sort of this, the sense of presence that is speaking those words. You, 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 you may be able to catch a few people who, who haven't really gone themselves more deeply underneath the surface of the, or the facade of personhood. But uh, with more mature um, uh, um, seekers, they they would not go very far. They, you would see that that is that is really not, not authentic. It is not true, and uh, and they themselves also will suffer life. They may continue like this for a while to, to to what you may call I would say maybe but trying to bypass you know, the sense of uh, personal responsibility. I, I would not use this term so much because the one who is genuinely grasped and. Uh, I've really, I cannot relate and regard such a person as person in the in the in the old regime sense of the word person. You know, it is a very very different way. I find that such a person, let's say, is going to be for me the true human being. They are so wide, so open, so vast in their expressions, so flexible, so so capable of looking at things in in a wide range of angles and perspectives because they're not dedicated to any particular perspective. So I'm looking at it from the contrary. I wouldn't see that someone who has really um, adopted, and we meet people like that, who, who have read the books and who seem to know what to say. It comes up often in satsang, someone will come and try to challenge something and to speak in this type of way. And it is so obvious, for, I would believe, from for most people in in a, in a mature sangha, to spot them, and if they are using that as a way of bypassing or excusing uh, some things which life calls upon them to do, I don't think this type of thing lasts for very long. Uh, I feel that it is it's impossible to escape from your your karmic uh, unfolding in some way, if I can use this term. Uh, I might be trotting on dangerous ground to say like that right now, but you know what you are meant to experience, and that could be what you are meant to experience for a while, is to believe that you have got it, and 
and that you don't do you don't need to do these mundane things in life anymore and so on but if you meet these type of people you'll generally find that uh, there's something very stuck in them they're not flowing and their state would not attract genuine seekers of truth and it would not even attract uh, uh, ingenuine ones even i don't think these people get very far i would say mm-hmm. now i have one other question about if you will a potential pitfall that I see sometimes, and I'm curious your view, which is in this process of disidentifying, if you will, with this personhood that doesn't, that's not in touch with our deeper sense of being. So we're disidentifying with our thoughts and we're disidentifying with emotions we might be feeling as well. I feel angry about this. I feel restless. I feel frustrated. We're disidentifying. We're disidentifying. That people can become checked out, if you will. Like they're not present in a warm and available way, but there's like a weird vacancy. And I'm curious what you think about that, that strange kind of vacant quality that can sometimes happen. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, first of all, um, I have to comment on our own way of working, and uh, we don't stress any mechanical kind of practice, such as you know disidentifying, disidentifying, and so on. But more to begin at the place of observing, and to see that many of the the thoughts that we we cherish or the the, the things that we believe um, that uh, they simply appear in the mind, uh, and uh, you observe them. And they, they come and go. I mean, this is a kind of uh, a stream of a continuous stream of traffic. And we can look at that and say, you know, even the things that we thought about yesterday, our feelings were at a certain point in this morning or yesterday or so on. Are we so in touch with that? And it's all gone. It's all gone. Everything is moving along. So it, it, one begins by learning to observe. And I put that observing is one of the great, one of the great, uh, if you want to say, practices. You know, just beginning to observe, but but not to judge. First, beginning to observe gives you the space to look at the, the the thought flow, the emotions, and so on, and without judging or 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 um, what you may say, dismissing them. Just being to observe more, and you become spatially aware that the observer is not caught in the bubble of the activities being observed. That is something that happens very naturally, and in 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 universally, when we speak of all the different spiritual practices, it is one of the most effective way to really experience the sense of conscious presence, as opposed to the the whole you know sort of traffic of you know fleeting phenomenal appearances. So it is important for people, and it it is a way in which they grasp so beautifully. And feel anchored in their in their heart, as opposed to just mechanically saying, you know, no, I mustn't identify. No, I mustn't. That uh, I don't feel any mature um, uh, spiritual uh, discipline or practice is is really putting things in such a mechanical way. I mean, there are times when one may feel to employ that, or it may feel very natural to really. Um, in a sense, uh, look at that and and not identify uh, with certain uh, ideas about the self, but it is not so mechanical. It's a much more intelligent way of looking and 
And the whole purpose of observing is to come to a place where this, the, the, the source of the observing is felt very, very pronounced way to be um, uh, formless. And the innumerable forms that seem to appear and are being observed are also seem seen to be quite ephemeral. That's not something you're making up. The, the, the power of the observation actually um, makes that very clear. And with that comes a deepening of our, of our, uh, of our sense of being. It happens very automatically. So I would not uh, encourage anyone just to mechanically denounce the sense of person or some ideas or some thoughts just like mechanically. Because some thoughts are quite practical and very useful. And even after awakening, you know, you will use your mind in its more practical functions and in its creative expression. All of this can still be there. But I feel that um, to really have an identity that's shaped only uh, conceptually or in the mind, I feel we are missing out a tremendous amount, which satsang then brings back to you. In a sense, you win your freedom back. So um, I, uh, that I would not see as something that we would hear worry about because it would not happen like that. And also, that, uh, that kind of practice will feel very unproductive. Y you see, in any genuine, what I'm using the word genuine um, uh, endeavor or um, sadhana, spiritual practice, I find that people become much more integrated in life and more harmonious in their way, much more intuitive, have a much broader way of looking at life. They're not easily rattled or, or become judgmental. Those uh, superficial um, uh, traits, they, they tend to get, uh, to get sieved out. And uh, people genuinely become more, more kind, more loving, because they feel less threat. And when, when someone, a human being, feels less threatened, then the love part of their nature can open up much more abundantly. And so I see that uh, unless someone is practicing in a bad way, in the wrong way, and not receiving correct guidance, um, which uh, I don't know of anyone directly who is giving bad guidance or something, there are teachers functioning at various levels of uh, maturity and uh, experience and capacity, no doubt, as there are students who are um, similarly at different stages in their in their evolution in consciousness. So those variations will come and go. But we are looking now at the success, you know, at where people are successful in their practice. And I don't like to even emphasize the word practice, you know, because that even can be uh, misleading largely for me. Now, you know, Muji, I'm enjoying our conversation so much. I could talk to you for a really long time, but I'm going to try to close this down, but I'm going to sneak in two final questions here. So the first one is, in your book, Vaster Than Sky, Greater Than Space, you write that as you spend more time in this I am space that you pointed out to us, your whole life becomes wind-assisted. And I, th I underlined that because I thought that was such a beautiful image, being wind-assisted. And I wonder if you can explain what you mean by that. Okay. Well, actually, I would say that um, 
the 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 regular, if I can use the word, life of of uh, people who are um, uh, strongly identified with their egos, um, not intentionally, but somehow we are we by ego I mean you believe firmly as a fact that you are your body and the conditioning that that took place in this bodily um, form is makes you who you are and and it it, it is true up to a point. Uh, it is still a form of consciousness, but it is a very restricted form of consciousness. When we live like this, it is as though the way in which we move in life is programmed to to move according to um, uh, the capacity of uh, that that is in our life to um, to use our our intellects in the most broad way. It can be very narrow and and very rigid sometimes. As you become more familiar with that open space of being, that that natural discovering more the the I amness, and you know in in some cultures in uh, you know we know that the sense I am is also a name of God. It's given us the name of God because all beings have this natural. It is our name is I, I am, and it really. Uh, stands for consciousness. I consciousness am. It is not personal. You see. So when I point out this exercise, it it really transcends religion and uh, and different categories. I mean, every age group, every type of person can can follow this simple um, uh, guidance, and very quickly they come into the feeling of being. Feels very tangible. And and non-separate from yourself. It maybe it even begins in the beginning. It might feel like it's something that you have, or or an, or a space that you go into. But gradually, this this sense of duality is becoming much more natural for you. That it feels like a kind of oneness there. When that, uh, as you persist with this, you'll find now this the, the question you asked me when I mentioned that your life become wind assisted. It is it is as though because you are not forcing life, the kind of aggressive tendencies begin to peter out, and you're living more in the natural cosmic unfolding. Like the life is simply unfolding, rather than you're pushing it about. So you're not trying to fan the wind; it just let it blow, or 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 push the river; it just let it flow. You find that there's a there's a kind of patience that is present, and it is as though that, left to itself, life is seen to take care of life. In our present, uh, for many people, in the, this fast life that we live, I feel that very often we are forcing life into a shape, into a kind of premature shapes, um, and because of our impatience and the fear that if we don't act quickly, we might lose our chance, whatever that may be. But in the state of presence, invites us into a more tranquil state. It's not lazy, it's just a more tranquil state, a more patient state, where your life begins to bear witness, that, uh, and your energies is cooperating with that. A pace, your natural pace, is as though I would say, you're moving in, in synchronicity, or in real time with the universal unfolding. And you just find that the life is much more smooth, uh, is uh, more beautiful seeming coincidences happen? Your intuitive uh, uh, 
powers seem to wake up. You, 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 this kind of synchronicity with life. The, 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 the quality of the beingness is bringing also um, new kind of meetings with people, or even better meetings with the old relationships, and new relationships are forming so much more easy. It really feels miraculous. And that's what I mean that the life becomes wind assisted. It means that it takes out the, the grinding and the forcefulness, and you begin to flow. The life really is an unfolding rather than sort of like you're, you're, you're pushing against some grain. So that was what the term implied. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, thank you. And then just a final question, Muji. This program is called Insights at the Edge. And part of the title is that I'm always curious to know what someone's current edge is. And what I mean is kind of their growing edge or what's happening in their life that has them on the edge of the wave, if you will, in their life. And I'm curious what that might be for you. You know, I'll have to go to my dynamic side to answer this part, this kind of question, because when I really speak of our essential nature, um, this is the most, this is the most real, this is the most true for myself. And there, I don't have any stories in this place. I don't have any edge in this place. This is so. This is so true, and you know, I'm. It, it is so totally universal that I. I am never tired of inviting people to taste and be this. This their natural state. It is not something unique to me. Um, but if you speak about an edge, I can speak about. Then I have to go and look into my dynamic expressions, um, and and see what that is. And I would have to say that. The edge, if I can see one, because you invite this question in me, uh, what in what way I can answer this? I would say that um, you know I have recently I've been looking at uh, a lot of YouTubes and a very wide range of uh, subject matter, and uh, someone may feel that I, I'm I'm so interested or enjoy all these things, but it's not for that reason why I look. I feel that. Uh, it gives a little taste of the different things that are really preoccupying human interest and attention, like that. And I see many things that really touch my heart in, in very striking ways. Sometimes I see a lot of cruelty and unkindness and so on in the world, and I feel that it, it, it does drive uh, something inside me to, to want to address that, but I, I don't know. Um, because not everyone is going to respond to the words I'm speaking. And I know that there is some, 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 something that must come uh, more forward, more alive, more applicable when you, when you plunge inside your inner ocean, if you want to say like that. And these are phenomenal terms I'm using, but they have a, they have a role to play. They have a meaning in the phenomenal expression of my life. So I could only think uh, in 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 that terms, you know, and and uh, recently here because I've been traveling for quite a long time and and seeing people on a daily basis and and many hundreds of people uh, um, like this, um, I've uh, felt I wanted to take some time just to do what I used to do many many years ago, maybe twenty five years ago. I spent a, 
a good while just sitting and being alone and, and not doing anything particular. But it was a kind of incubation time. It's like a sort of marinating in, in, in the things I started to talk to you at the beginning of this conversation I'm having with you. And I feel that, you know, as a result of that time that I spent, not because I said, I'm going to spend this time, but that time I felt was provided for me somehow by life. It's on the strength of that those that time and that all these years that have flowed onward from that time and all the work that has taken place has flowed up from from just the juice of that of that first kiss. And um, and I feel um, I don't know if I need another kiss, I don't know if that's what it is. Uh, but something just feels like right now it's coming to a time and I'd like to 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 take a retreat by myself. And this is something very practical that, that's happening here in Montesaja. And I'm encouraging as much of my team who are working full on most of the time to go into retreat with me in their own way. And we are coming to a season now which is um, a forerunner to a time when we intend to go back to India. We go to India um, uh, each year for you know a month or two uh, to share satsangs in a, in, a, in, in a much wider way. And I feel like this is a time that I'd like to to, to, to do that. And uh, as about cutting edge, I'm liking this this phrase that you use. Um, I feel that um, uh, our lives are being invited uh, to to be in this cutting edge in one way in 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 the in just that tiny bridge between phenomenality and non-phenomenality there's a if I can use the word right there where uh, beyond past and future and something timeless is there but at the same time it it's like that which is time starts by drinking right there. I don't know if these words mean something to you, but I'm just speaking to you because you mentioned something, and I said, "Okay, um, uh, if there's something I can say, it would be along those lines." That um, in the phenomenal expression of the life for me, uh, that would be the season for me to to go inside. You know, even as I speak this time, I'm not quite sure what it means anymore, but there is something there. Uh, a being alone less time or something. Well, Muji, I so appreciate you speaking to me both from your dynamic space of personhood as well as the eternal space of just being. Muji is the author, with Sounds True, of a new book called Vaster Than Sky, Greater Than Space, What You Are Before You Became. And Muji, I just want to thank you so much for this conversation and for all of your good work, for all of your generosity. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tammy. It's been, you know, I each interview or talk that I have, it's always something fresh and uh, and uh, unexpected. And so uh, there are things I know that are touched on through this talk we have that are new. I have uh, some of my team around here and. and they will say, "Oh, I never heard you say like this before," and so on. But I very much enjoyed your your the conversation with you and uh, some of the questions you have asked have been uh, quite uh, quite beautiful for me. So thank you so much, and uh, looking forward to a time when I will actually see you uh, face to face. Oh, I would enjoy that. 
<laughs> Soundstrue.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.